Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with The Fall Guy. What are you doing later? Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Three, two, one. But I've worked it out. I love to listen to your podcast. Whenever you say something, other people react to it. Taking my breath away, Aaron. Fern Lundquist joins me. Hall of Famer Jim Calhoun. NASCAR icon Dale Earnhardt Jr. Kirk Herbstreet is on the episode phone. Episode We with the podcast. Yeah. 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 podcast presented by Betfred Sportsbook. It is Monday, January sixteenth. 2023 people, I hope everybody's doing well. I hope everybody is having a great day. We got ourselves, first of all, happy MLK Day, uh, obviously honoring Dr. Martin Luther King. Hope everybody is enjoying the day off. Uh, We got ourselves a jam-packed show, dropping it here midday Monday uh, to get your week going. A lot of different directions, a lot to talk about. Uh, NFL playoffs were this weekend. I'm not going to spend a ton of time on the NFL, although I do have one or two thoughts but we got a lot of sh- a lot of meat on the bone today. Um, we're going to start, unfortunately, with two very, very, very serious topics. Uh, one out of Athens, Georgia, the passing of two members of Georgia's national championship team from this year, shortly after the parade. We'll quickly talk about that. Um, and then there was obviously another situation with Alabama basketball that we will talk about. Um, it, it, we're going to get into all the details. I don't need to get into too much of it here. From there, we'll take a quick break. There is kind of a wild NIL story out of the University of Florida that I want to discuss. And we'll wrap with a little college hoops because college hoops, you know, listen, there are two or three teams that I think at various points we all thought were good enough to win a national championship. UConn, Arizona, Arkansas, all of them are struggling. And so what I want to do today, we'll do kind of a panic meter for those three programs. How worried should fans be? Because none of the three look very good right now. So with that said, let's jump into it. Let's get to the topic of the day. First of all, NFL playoffs were this weekend. A few of you have said, Torres, I actually do like when you talk NFL. You don't do it a ton. Um, And what I would just say about the NFL playoffs, I don't really have a ton of amazing takeaways. Um, the, the, The biggest one, I think, zeroed out in my mind is that Brandon Staley needs to be fired, okay? And I'm not going to do a big, like, 12, 15-minute rant on this. I'll just say very quickly this as far as Brandon Staley is concerned. One, there's an old saying in my business, you never talk about another man's job. Well, I think that's idiotic. If a guy is incapable at his job, not good at his job, of course I'm going to talk about it. And I think Saturday proved that Brandon Staley is not capable of being an NFL head coach. I got criticism on social media for saying that if you want your team to hire him, that's fine. But I think the Los Angeles Chargers have to move on. Up 27-0, blow the lead. Um, And even if you want to blame Justin Herbert, I I don't think Justin Herbert is blameless in this. The bottom line is Justin Herbert did not have his most important wide receiver because Brandon Staley decided to play him uh, last week in week 18. That, of course, being Mike Williams. Mike Williams gets hurt. He is unavailable for the NFL playoffs. Again, blame Justin Herbert. You want to blame Joey Bosa? Well, why is Joey Bosa in a position to get those penalties late? It's because you had a 27-0 lead as a head coach. You completely blow it. So I don't know what the Chargers will do. The Chargers are a historically cheap and, frankly, broke franchise. That's why they moved from San Diego to Los Angeles, to make money off of the revenue from the new stadium. So that what they need to do is fire Brandon Staley and go get Sean Payton. This is the job that he wants. But what they will do, I have no idea. 
but I've seen enough from the Brandon Staley era. He isn't the guy. He isn't confident. I don't know how he hasn't lost the locker room after Saturday night. Uh, That is my biggest NFL takeaway from the weekend. Like I said, we'll get into more of this as the playoffs go on. More Torres hot takes. Um, also shout out to the giants. You know, Daniel Jones was amazing on set on Sunday shows, by the way, what a quarterback can do with real coaching. Unlike with the chargers, uh, on top of that, obviously close wins for the Bengals and bills, uh, 49ers dominate, whatever. We'll talk more NFL in the coming days and weeks, but I do right now want to switch gears. And as I said, um, you know, this show is going to take a lot of twists and turns. And there were two very, very, very serious topics out of the college sports world that I do want to address. Um, And the first is just an awful, awful story for the now two-time national champion Georgia Bulldogs. Georgia wins the national title on Monday. On Saturday, they have their national championship parade in Athens. And we find out that late Saturday into Sunday, I think most of us woke up to this news that two members of Georgia's national championship group uh, had passed away in a car crash. One is a player. One is a staffer, the staffer, 26 year old recruiting staffer Chandler LaCroix and Devin Willick, a 20-year-old offensive lineman. Uh, He had played in some games this year. He had started some games for the national champion this year uh, and both passed away. And and, and there's nothing to really add. I just want to acknowledge them. I want to acknowledge their lives. I want to acknowledge the Georgia community right now because I know the Georgia community is struggling. I mean, you have this incredible celebration, this incredible moment in time where you have ascended, as we discussed last week, to the top of the world in college football, and then just tragedy strikes. I mean, you know, I I feel awful for all the current players, the coaches, um, obviously the families of these two individuals. Uh, There was a third person, a Georgia player, that was also involved in the accident. Um, And so, you know, when when you think about all of this, uh, it's just awful. Um, You know, from a personal perspective, and to be clear, I know this is not about me, you know, being in that locker room on Monday night, you could see how close that group was, how much the players loved each other, how they all battled together, you know, all of the cliches, but it really is true with that Georgia Bulldogs program. Nobody works harder and nobody deserves to celebrate more. And again, to to know that I was within a few feet of some of these individuals in the locker room with these individuals, and now they're no longer with us, just awful. Saw some actual pictures of fans at the parade. Uh, Devin Willick signing autographs for you know young kids and the smile that he had and the smile that he put on those kids' face. Chandler Lacroix again, just seeing things about her, um, you know, and the impact that she had on that program. It's just awful. So it goes without saying. I, I, there's nothing for me to add here. Um, my thoughts are with the entire Georgia community. My thoughts are with. Um, you know, the, 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 the families of Devin Willock and Chris, uh, excuse me, Chandler LaCroix, uh, and just an awful moment in time for an incredible program in Georgia football. I wish everybody there the best quickly. There was a very serious second story that came out on Sunday night. Um, and one thing again, I, I, you know, there's a, a, this is one, there's a very serious element to it. There's a sports element to it. And so I want to break it down and I want to do it with the understanding that we don't duck tough questions and tough topics on this show. So let's get into it. Um, And then we'll have a little bit more fun, by the way. This isn't going to be a super, you know, whatever. We'll get to all that in a minute. But there was a second story that needs to be addressed. um, And it did come out of Tuscaloosa, Alabama. Again, late Saturday into Sunday. There was a shooting on campus um, that took the life of a 23-year-old woman, Jamia Harris. Um, So again, to be clear, our thoughts are with Jamia Harris, with her family. She was a mother of a five-year-old son, obviously just absolutely tragic. Um, But why I'm talking about this and why we're discussing this and why we're not going to duck the tough conversation today is because one of the two people that has been charged with murder in Jamia Harris's death is a now former Alabama basketball player, Darius Miles, who was literally on the team up until this weekend. 
Um, it had been announced that he was out for the season with an injury. He wasn't having very much of an impact in this season, but an Alabama basketball player on Sunday night was charged with murder. Um, and so let's talk about it a little bit. And let's start by, again, acknowledging that what matters here is the real world. The fact that a 23-year-old woman, her whole life ahead of her, five-year-old son, lost her life on Saturday night over by what is all accounts just a, a, a uh, something that felt avoidable. It felt as though there was a little bit of a disagreement or a, you know, a thing that happens at bars at one in the morning sometimes where somebody felt disrespected, whatever. But unfortunately, somebody did pull the trigger and took her life. And unfortunately, um, you know, she is no longer with us. And why we're talking about it today, again, is because it is believed that one of the two people involved is Darius Miles, who is a member of the Alabama basketball team. Of course, he was a member this season. He has obviously been thrown off the team, his bio removed from the website, but it doesn't change the fact that as recently as a few weeks ago, he was stepping on the court in an Alabama basketball uniform. And so while the life of Jamia Harris is what's clearly the most important thing, I did get quite a few questions about Alabama basketball from you guys and girls privately in the emails and the DMs and whatever. And I just want to acknowledge the the the, the sports element of this as well, while again understanding that somebody lost their lives, you know, a, a son lost his mother, all of that. But again, we don't hide from the serious topics, the serious conversations here. And from the Alabama basketball perspective, I don't know what it does to their season, right? I mean, and again, it, last time, I promise, but we know what's important in this situation, but there are basketball and sports-related things to discuss. And from the Alabama basketball perspective, this was shaping up to be a dream season for the Crimson Tide. This was shaping up to be a season where I felt like right now they were the best team in college basketball. Um, they're coming off arguably their most dominant win of the season, a 40-point home win over the LSU Tigers. I thought LSU was like a fringe NCAA tournament team. Alabama beat them by 40. And so while there's a tragedy, while there's a, 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 li a life that was lost, Alabama is supposed to play again on Tuesday, on the night of Tuesday night, literally 24 hours from when you guys and girls are listening to this. And so at some point, these real world questions are going to be asked. At some point, Nate Oates is going to have to take the podium and discuss why this kid was in the program. Was there any inclination that, that he had trouble? Could he have seen this coming? And so I think from two perspectives, this completely shakes up what I believe was a national championship caliber team. From the basketball perspective, this is something that is going to hang over this team forever. You got a bunch of young kids. Most of the team is freshmen. Um, frankly, you know, Darius Miles is one of the few holdovers from even two years ago during that SEC title run. And so I don't know how this team as a team on the court in games, how they're able to move on. This is something that's going to follow them all season long. This is something that players are going to be asked about. Coaches are going to be asked about. Remember, every new city you go to, this is the new story in that town. Alabama plays at Vanderbilt on Tuesday. Think players and coaches aren't going to be asked about this after the game. Then they go to Missouri on Saturday. You think players and coaches aren't going to be asked about that after the game? Return to Tuscaloosa. You play wherever else over the course of the rest of the year. This will continue to be a story. And I think this is going to be tough on the court. Again, not the bigger picture of what matters, but this is a sports show. I'll be curious to see how this team handles it and if they can overcome it. Lastly, what I would say is that, unfortunately, I do think this is something that hovers over Nate Oates for the rest of his career. Again, to be clear, I'm not blaming Nate Oates. I'm not saying Nate Oates should be fired. But he is going to have to answer some very tough questions about who this kid was, why he was in the program. Was there ever an inclination that he was troubled or that this could have been stopped? Because unfortunately, especially at the college level, um, the coach usually has to answer the questions when the player does something really, really, really bad. 
I'll tell you a quick story. I remember Barry Switzer talking about this for the younger generation. Barry Switzer, one of the few people that has won both a national championship in college at Oklahoma. I believe he won multiple national championships and a Super Bowl with the Dallas Cowboys back in the mid 90s. And I remember Barry Switzer talking about this. He said the difference between being a college coach and being an NFL head coach, being a pro coach, is that in college, when one of your players does something dumb, and this is beyond dumb to be clear, but when your players do something dumb, you get a call at two in the morning. You're the one that is held accountable for that player's actions. Why did he do this? Why was he there? Why why was he at this place at that time? Barry Switzer said, he's like, I, you know, you're in college. You have a 21-year-old does something dumb. You're the one that's got to answer for it. That same guy is now 22 years in the two, 22 years old and a professional. You no longer. It's now he's an adult. He did something stupid. We cut him and we move on. And so... Again, to be clear, I'm not saying Nate Oates should be fired. I'm not saying that he has to be held personally responsible for the actions of one of his players, but Nate Oates and his staff are the people that brought this kid into the Tuscaloosa community, a community that has now lost a life. And so I'll be curious what Nate Oates' comments are. Obviously, the school has released a statement. Um, and what I would also say, because some of you did ask me this, is while I think he will keep his job, Nate Oates, at Alabama, I don't think he's very much of a candidate anywhere else anytime soon. He was the guy that I have said on this show repeatedly. Um, you know, he would be my number one call to Texas if I was Texas. And I would say, I don't care what your buyout is. We'll pay it. Get up, get come to Austin, hook him. Well, now Texas obviously just fired a coach that had a criminal situation. It's going to be tough to sell your fan base that you're bringing a guy in who recruited a player who did something of this caliber. Kentucky fans, obviously, I know Kentucky fans are feeling good after that Tennessee game the other day. Um, but at the same time, you know, Nate Oates was a guy that I think they had circled as a potential candidate. I don't think he's hireable anytime in the near future. So, again, ultimately, these things really don't matter. In the grand, what happens with Alabama basketball on the court doesn't matter in the grand scheme of what happened to the the the, the family of Jamia Harris, but it is worth talking about, um, and it is worth monitoring going forward. We're going to take a quick break. We'll be back. We'll talk a little bit of a crazy, crazy, crazy NIL story with the University of Florida football team. But again, just want to take a moment. To say rest in peace, Jamia Harris, of course, who lost her life in Tuscaloosa on Sunday morning, late Saturday into Sunday. And also on top of that, want to take a moment to acknowledge uh, Devin Willick and Chandler LaCroix, a Georgia football player and a Georgia staffer who also lost their lives as well. All right, we're getting back to the show in a minute. But before we do, I want to welcome back our presenting sponsor, Betfred Sportsbook and the Betfred Sportsbook app. By now, you know Betfred's story. Started in 1967 in the UK. Over 1,600 shops in the UK have come to the United States and made a major splash. They are the presenting sponsor of the Cincinnati Bengals, Colorado Rockies, Denver Broncos. And what I love about working with Betfred, nobody does more for their customers than Betfred does. Okay, I've told you before, but I'm going to keep telling you. Cincinnati Bengals games, that Betfred suite is rocking. They had a New Year's Eve into New Year's Day party for the launch of sports betting in the state of Ohio. Shout out to all of you who were there. Obviously, beyond that, there is the Denver Broncos VIP tailgates. We have sent listeners of this show to those tailgates. Colorado Rockies, first pitch at those games. Betfred does more for their customers than anybody, and here is what they are doing. For listeners of the Aaron Torres podcast, okay, it's what you got to do. Bet 50 on any game and new users. How about this? Get up to a thousand dollars in free bets. There are no catches. There are no gimmicks. Here's what you need to know. Bet 50 on any game. You get automatically $111 in free bets. But beyond that, you get $200 insurance on your first five weeks as a Betfred customer. So you decided, hey, I'm going to bet this big game, 100 bucks, 200 bucks, whatever. You end up losing it. They're going to insure you for that game. So up to five weeks, up to $200, plus $111 for signing up for Betfred today. You're going to want to do it. Download the Betfred Sportsbook app. Tell them Taurus sent you. Thank you to our presenting sponsor, 
the Betfred Sportsbook. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of The Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play The Godfather now at ChompaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. All right, everybody. I'm back. Good to be back. Good to be back. I do want to switch gears. And I do want to talk a little bit of college football. That is right. College football season ended last week. But if you think that we are done talking college football on the Air Tours pod, you got another thing coming to you. We basically talk college football 52 weeks out of the year. And boy, oh boy. Do we have a story that we got to get to today? It is juicy. It involves NIL. I mentioned it in passing on Friday's show. Said, I don't want to talk about it. I'm not talking about NIL. And then some details came out on Friday over the weekend. And I would be remiss. I wouldn't be doing my job as a host if I did not talk about it. And so let's break it down. Let's discuss it. And let's talk about a high school football superstar. A four to five star ish quarterback named Jaden Rashada. Okay. And if you're a longtime listener of the show, or if you're a keen observer with a keen ear, you remember that we actually talked about Jaden Rashada last spring. I want to say it was maybe June of 2022. And what we talked about was even then, this kid was a going into his senior year. So he just recently completed his senior year. And even prior to his senior year, he had a crazy recruitment, even eight, nine, 10 months ago, whatever it was back in June. So why we talked about him was this, was that he, in the springtime, did the whole, you know, campus tour thing. And essentially at the end of it, it appeared for all intents and purposes that he was set to commit to Florida, had done a couple visits, had done this, had done that. And it seemed as though he was set to go to Florida. Then he postpones his commitment date. Then we hear that he is going to the University of Miami on a visit. And then I don't know where, surprise, surprise, after he was already set to commit. And then at the last minute decides that he is going to go visit Miami. He decides to commit to Miami. And so remember, this was eight, nine months ago. And at the time, this was kind of that new phase of NIL where we're still trying to figure out what's fact, what's fiction, what's reality, what's not. But of course, Florida fans, and and I think a lot of people immediately say, well, it's got to be an NIL thing, ready to go to Florida, last second goes to Miami. We know about the situation at Miami with John Ruiz. He's publicly talked about paying players NIL money. It's got to be an NIL deal. So we talked about that in June. We discussed it at the time. Florida fans were freaking out. Billy Napier can't handle the pressure of coaching at a big boy job. I told everybody to calm down. Everything is going to be fine. Well, fast forward about five, six months from there, And in the fall, everything did turn out fine for the Florida Gators. Jaden Rashada was committed to Miami. He decides to decommit and actually commits to Florida, the place that everybody thought he was going back in the springtime. And so at the time, it was kind of a cool story. We didn't really make much of it. And it seemed as though everything was fine up until right around Christmas time. And let me explain why. National Signing Day, you start to hear a report that Jaden Rashada might not sign with Florida. Billy Napier's press conference on National Signing Day was actually postponed, and the rumor was was because they wouldn't get the National Letter of Intent, what's going on, all that kind of stuff. But he gets the National Letter, you know, Florida gets the National Letter of Intent, everything's fine, everything appears to be good. There was an All-American game, I think it was the Under Armour game down in Florida. Jaden Rashada attends that. And then last week was the week that he was supposed to move to Florida to begin spring classes, enroll, and get ready for spring football. Again, four, five-star quarterback in this 2023 class 
was set to enroll last week. There's just one problem. Week goes on, time goes on, moment, everything's going on. Supposed to be in class starting Monday. Well, it gets to be Tuesday and then Wednesday and then Thursday. And Jaden Rashada still isn't there. Friday was reportedly the drop dead deadline of you have to start classes by today to be eligible for the spring semester at Florida. Obviously for Jaden Rashada, there's no games to play, but obviously he has to be enrolled to take, take classes and take part in spring football. So as I record here on Sunday night, Jaden Rashada did not enroll on Friday. The latest reports are that he's back in California where he's from, that he's not planning on showing up this week and that his recruitment now is very much up in the air. So that alone is craziness. Five-star quarterback, largely the the kid that they built this entire class around Florida as a top 10 or so class in the country, isn't showing up. I think there was even reports that they could probably push it till Monday, but again, it doesn't appear as though he is going to enroll there. And so I think there's a lot of interesting questions about this is, is, you know, can he get out of his national letter of intent? Where would he end up? And those are questions that we'll all discuss in the future going forward. The thing is, though, there is one specific question that many of you are probably wondering at this specific moment, which is this. It is, well, wait a second, Torres. Uh, This guy commits, signs, is in Florida for an All-American game, ready to go, and he decides not to go. What could have possibly happened? Well, if you believe reports from credible outlets, the Athletic, the Orlando Sentinel, Places like that, the story goes as follows. Jaden Rashada, when he committed to Florida, he and his camp, he and his family, he and his agent, let's be honest, agreed to a very lucrative NIL deal. Now, the reports were that it was upwards of $13 million. Now, to be fair, there are multiple credible people that are saying that number is absurd, but it was a large NIL number. Maybe it's 13, maybe it's much less. That's not really the point. The point is this, is that as he got closer to enrolling, the reports, and again, from credible places, this isn't a message board, this isn't, you know, Twitter, this is from The Athletic, from the Orlando Sentinel, etc., and the reports are that Florida, in the midst of him getting ready to enroll, didn't actually have the money to pay him what they promised, and they were trying to renegotiate on the fly, and so let me tell you this, one This is the official craziest story of the NIL era that we have so far. And two, I think there's a lot of lessons that we can learn from this from both sides, from the Rashada side, from the Florida side, whatever. And let me start by saying this. Whether the report is fully true or not, and I should reference, by the way, there is a a small segment of people, there, there are reports, not as many, that the camp is actually asking for more money and that Florida isn't going to give it to him. But again, I'm going to go off the athletic report that says, you know, a credible Florida writer says they just don't have the money or they don't have the money that they promised them. And so I have a lot of thoughts when I hear this story. But I think the first thought that comes immediately to mind when I hear this is as follows. This is a PR disaster for Billy Napier, okay? It is not hyperbole for me to say that this is, in the new world of college football, about the worst possible thing that could happen to you and your program, especially, by the way, if you're on the ground floor, you're trying to build up, you're not Alabama, you're not Georgia, you're not even USC with Lincoln Riley. This is the worst possible thing that could happen for Florida, and I don't necessarily blame Billy Napier. Remember. Coaches, ADs, athletic departments are not allowed to work with collectives, at least above board. Collectives and and players work independently. That's how these deals come together. And so I bring it up for this reason. This is why it's a complete disaster, a PR nightmare for Billy Napier. The bottom line is it doesn't really matter if it's true or not that Florida does not have the money to pay this kid because right now, What really matters is that that narrative is out there right now. The narrative that Florida makes promises, puts pen to paper that they can't keep. That is the worst thing that you can have said about you and your program 
in the new world of college football. Let me explain why. It is because in college sports, for as long as I've been covering them, and as long as they've been going on, negative recruiting has always been a thing. It might be your facilities. It might be your resources. It might be that your head coach is going to the NFL. It might be that your head coach is retiring. Remember, not, not this stuff doesn't even have to be true, but people say all sorts of stuff. I'll give you an example. I'm sure there are kids on Georgia's roster right now who had negative recruiting when they went in with other schools who said, you'll never win a championship under Kirby Smart. Great recruiter isn't going to develop you. You're not going to win at the highest level. Come to fill in the blank school. And I'm not accusing any school of doing that, but you know that somebody did. You know that schools right now, when it's down to Alabama and XYZ, there are schools saying, Saban's 71 years old. He's not going to be there. He's not going to be there when you. by the time you're a junior. And so with Florida, this is what people are going to say to them. Oh, you can commit to Florida. If Florida's where you want to go, I'm not going to stop you. Just know that if you are told that you're going to get a certain NIL amount, and we'll take care of you. But again, you do what you want. But just know that if you're told that you're going to get a certain NIL amount, you're not going to get it. No, no, that's not my opinion. This is me, by the way. This is me, Aaron Torres, being the defensive backs coach at Miami or Georgia or Florida State or Tennessee or South Carolina or whatever. Oh, no, no, no. You can commit. I'm just telling you, they don't pay their kids. They're going to promise you something to get you in the door. They don't have the money to back it up. And when the recruit looks them in the eye and says, well, Coach Napier promised, well, guess what he's going to do? He's going to say, go on Google. There's this little website called Google that's going to tell you everything you need to know. This isn't my opinion. This isn't what I think. If I'm a def- if I'm the, the 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 safeties coach at Georgia, that's all I'm saying. I'm not saying I'm not saying I'm a liar. This is all on the internet. It's got to be true if it's on the internet, right? And so I bring it up because this is the worst form of negative recruiting you can have in this modern era is that you make promises you can't keep in the NIL and I think that is going to be catastrophic for Billy Napier. Now, to continue this conversation, I think there is a very important lesson to learn for the student athlete, and it's a lesson that I think more and more are learning as we go on in time. You better get it in writing, right? Because if you think about this NIL era that we live in, what has been one constant murmur about a lot of these deals is that a school promises something to get you to campus, you sign, you show up, and they don't deliver. We heard reports. We talked about it last summer with Jordan Addison. Was it true? Was it not true? I don't know. I just know there were reports. Um, uh, Texas A&M, there were reports that some of the players were promised things. They got to campus. They weren't delivered. Well, now you're stuck here. You can't go anywhere. You can't play anywhere else, so you might as well stick it out. And so if this is the case, the reports are that Rashada has a lawyer. Rashada has representation. Good for him because at the end of the day, I think all these kids, I'll just tell you, if we have any parents that listen to this show, I don't care if you're a soccer player or a tennis player, if they're offering you something in NIL, I would make sure that it's in writing on a piece of paper because if not, they're going to pull a 180 when you get to campus. And finally, what I would say, you know, is I hate this. I want to say something else. If this is true, and let's just say, let, let's work under the scenario that the, the kid in the camp are doing their end of the bargain. They're doing what they promised. They agreed to a deal. Florida's trying to renege. That is the report. You know what I actually feel bad for? I feel bad for the kid himself. I feel bad for Jaden Rashad because my guess is this. He's 18, 19 years old, and he is now the face of, quote unquote, selfish, entitled NIL. And what I can tell you, as somebody who's been around college sports for over a decade now, Very rarely does the kid have anything to do with this, right? Very rarely does the kid have anything to do with everything that goes on around them. And usually it's a selfish, greedy adult with their hands out if we're being honest. And by the way, the adult could be on either side on this one. It could be Rashada's lawyer, his agent, his parents. It could also be Florida that has the selfish adult on the other side saying, I know we promised you this, but I'm not actually paying it. But the bottom line is, is that so often these kids get caught in the middle and it's not even about, it's about using them to leverage something that you want from somebody else. And it's so disappointing, but this is the new world that we're living in as we professionalize college athletics. Very rarely is the kid, the one that actually is, I'll tell you a funny story, not funny, kind of sad actually, but, but, but a true story. I remember about four or five years ago, this was pre NIL. I remember talking to a big time 
college hoops coach. And I'm not going to name the guy's name for obvious reasons, but this is a big name, big school recruits, the best of the best. And I remember he told me point blank. He said, Aaron, I've been doing this a long time. He said in all my years recruiting at the level that I have only once has a kid ever actually asked me for anything. And that was an older player. He was a transfer. He had eligibility. Remember this was back in the grad transfer days when only grad transfer could get immediate eligibility. And the coach was like, this guy was 22, 23, and he knew what he wanted. And he came in, he said, this is what I want. And I threw him out of my office because, you know, coach said at the time, that's that wasn't allowed. I didn't do it. But I bring it up because it's never the kid that's the one that's, hey, coach, I need this. It's always an adult, a parent of this, of that, a high school coach and basketball and AU coach and football, a seven on seven coach. So I feel bad for the kid. Last thought on this. And I'll just say this, by the way, we're going to continue to cover this. And by the way, maybe by the time uh, Tuesday rolls around, he's on campus and everything is good. Maybe he's decommitted and he's committed somewhere else. All I can do is go off on the facts that I have now. And right now it looks like Florida is trying to renege. Um, and it's sad. And the last real thought that I have on this is that the NCA has obviously screwed up a lot of stuff. And I'm not always blame NCA guy for everything, right? But the NCA screwed up a lot of stuff. And I do think as we move forward in this NIL world, I do think the NCA has to put NIL in the hands of schools, ADs, and administrators. Because what you have to understand, and I think most of you know it, you follow your team, whoever it is, Tennessee, Arkansas, UCLA, USC, Kentucky, who cares? Most NIL stuff is is not only not run by coaches and administrators, they're not allowed to be involved. And I think that's an important distinction here. This isn't a kid agreeing to a contract with a school and the school not paying. It's a third party that we're calling a collective. The collective raises the funds on behalf of the fans and the school has nothing to do with it. And so one, if you're a fan, the bottom line is you are caught in this middle ground of you want to help support your team, but you don't know where the money's going. And some schools, it's really organized and it's great and everything's good and blah, 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 and this and that. But there's quite a few other schools where it's a total mess right now, where fans are, are giving money. They don't know where it's going, where players aren't getting anything. And to me, I think the best way to solve this, let the schools act as fundraisers. Let the schools determine how much they have to pay their quote unquote payroll. Do I love it? Do I want that to be where college athletics is? No, I don't, but it is where we're going. One thing I always say about this show, I complain, I complain, and then once I know I can't change it, I move on and I adjust. Didn't like the transfer portal, complained, but it was time to move on. NIL, complained, time to move on. And I think that's the world that we're living in. And two, when you do it through a school, when you do it with that that Gator logo or that, again, I'm just using random examples, but Florida State logo, Tennessee logo, Georgia logo, whatever, that's official. That's when lawyers get involved. That's when people read things over. That's when official contracts are signed. And I do think that's a way to kind of solve issues like this. And so to me, I would just say really quickly, um, I hope that's what the NCAA decides to do. And I do hope that we start to get this thing under control. Right now, I feel bad for the kid. I feel bad for Gators fans. You guys deserve better. It is absolute chaos at Florida. I just want to do take a quick break, come back, and we have plenty more to discuss from a wild weekend in sports. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of the Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play the Godfather, now at chumpacasino.com. Welcome to the family. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of The Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play The Godfather now at ChompaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. 
Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. All right, everybody. I'm back. Good to be back. Good to be back. Final segment of the show. So good to be back. And I do want to wrap with a little bit of college hoops, okay? And so this weekend was absolutely bananas, okay? To to call it upset Saturday, upset weekend, would be the understatement of the century because we had, how about this? This is how many upsets there were over the course of this weekend. There were 11 ranked teams that lost on Sunday alone, Saturday alone, excuse me, That ties an all-time record for most ranked teams losing in the same day. And then, oh, by the way, two ranked teams lost on Sunday as well as UConn lost to St. John's and Xavier beat Marquette. Marquette was ranked at the time. And so, listen, not all of the, the, the losses were major upsets. Marquette lost to a ranked team on the road. That's not an upset. They weren't favored to win that game. Kansas State loses a TCU. That's not an upset. Iowa State loses a Kansas. That is not an upset. But there were quite a few upsets, and we'll get to some of them at the end. I do want to talk just a minute on Kentucky, Tennessee. But what I do think is happening, what I do think is obvious, is that there are some teams that at various points in the season, whether it was the preseason or more recently, like within the last few weeks, that we thought were like legitimate national championship contenders that are just not very good right now. And so what I want to do, I want to talk about four teams specifically, and I want to do a panic meter on them and how concerned I am about them potentially reaching their potential. UConn, Arizona, Arkansas, and Duke. All four lost over the course of this weekend, all under slightly different circumstances, and I have a different level of concern for all of them. So let's jump into it, then we'll get to some other results from over the course of the weekend. But let's start with panic meter, how concerned I am about UConn. And to be clear, the panic is this. A 1 on the panic meter is, I'm not worried at all. A 10 on the panic meter is, code red, cancel the season, it's a disaster, it's over, don't even bother playing the games, okay? So let's start with UConn. Because I'm officially worried about my UConn Huskies. So UConn, at one point, I said they had zero weaknesses as a team. They were 15-0. and Their first 14 games, they all won by double figures. But really, I would argue, since they entered Big East play, it has not been very easy. Basically, every Big East game has been a dogfight. You can go back to their first Big East game against Butler, where they struggled in that game. They ended up winning by double figures, but at the time, it did not look good. Um, You know, they beat Georgetown at home, but that one was really kind of ugly. They were down late. They took care of Villanova at home. They took care of Creighton at home. But right now, UConn, which at one point was 15-0, and they currently sit at... 15 and four. So they weren't 15 and 0. What were they? 13 and 0. They, they were, they were 14 and 0, excuse me. So they were 14 and 0. Since that 14 and 0 start, they are now one and four overall. And they have lost, obviously, it goes without saying, four of their last five games. And so what I would say about UConn is this prior to Sunday, I kind of talked myself into it's okay. Everything's going to be fine. They lost their first game of the season on New Year's Eve at Xavier. Xavier's a really good team. Xavier's going to be in the top 10 this week when the new AP poll comes out on Monday. It'll probably come out right as I'm recording this game, right as I'm recording this segment. Then they lost at Providence. Okay, Providence is probably a lot better than we're giving them credit for. I saw one of our longtime listeners, Robert, reference Torres. You are not giving Providence enough credit. They lost all five starters. They're still awesome. Providence, as I record now, 14-4, and 6-1 and one in league play. And UConn also lost last Wednesday at Marquette, another team that's really good right now. Marquette is 14-5, and 6-2 and two in league play. So the first three Big East losses, I said, those are really good teams. They were all on the road. Let's have some patience. Well, 
There's not really an excuse for losing at home to St. John's on Sunday in a game where you came in as a heavy favorite. Remember, it was literally only a week ago that I was calling for St. John's. You got to fire Mike Anderson, get rid of him, bring in uh, bring in Rick Patino as your head coach. St. John's, by the way, 13 and six overall, three and five. They were two and five in the Big East coming into Sunday. And I'll say this, they largely dominated UConn, final score 85-74. And so in terms of a panic meter, and when I say panic, what I mean is how far are they from reaching their potential? How concerned am I about reaching their potential? I'll be honest. I am going to put the UConn panic meter at a 7.5. And here is why I am worried about UConn. It is because right now there isn't one specific issue with them, right? You, you, you know, you can go to other teams and say, this is the problem. That is the problem. There's one injury. If this guy gets healthy, whatever. You can't really say that about UConn. UConn has everybody on their roster. Everybody's available. And what stands out to me is a couple things. One, the St. John's game, I will say was the worst effort I have seen in the Dan Hurley era at UConn, not blaming Dan Hurley, not saying he's a bad coach. I think Dan Hurley's a blessing upon a blessing upon a blessing for UConn basketball. So I want to be clear there. There's a lot of UConn fans that listen to this show. I'm not blaming Dan Hurley, but what I am saying is Sunday was the worst effort I've ever seen. St. John's finished the game shooting about 52% from the field. They got to the basket at will and that alone concerned me. But beyond that, there's other concerns with this team right now in this program, and that's a couple different things. They are turning the ball over way too much. 15 and a half turnovers per game in those four losses. That is not going to get the job done. And oh, by the way, three of those losses were to teams that are the caliber of teams you're going to play in the NCAA tournament. So it like if you're turning the ball over 15 and a half times per game, against NCAA tournament caliber teams, guess who you're going to be playing in the NCAA tournament? In a year where we thought UConn was going to the Final Four, you can't turn the ball over 15 and a half times against them. Beyond that, the shooting wasn't great against St. John's. And here's the other concern. UConn has huge size up front, and they're getting killed in the post the last couple games. Joel Soriano from St. John's, 19 points, 13 rebounds. Osa Adigioro, 19 points again from Marquette the other night. Omax Prosper, 17 points. Bryce Hopkins, Kentucky fans, you know that name. He plays for Providence. He went for 27 against UConn. Zach Fremantle, 16 and 11. And so why I'm concerned with UConn, the good news, I guess, is that they've started to hit a little bit of an easy spot in the schedule, but that was supposed to start on Sunday and they lost that game. But why I'm concerned, it's not one specific thing. It's not one specific injury. It's not if they just limit turnovers or they limit this or they shoot the ball better. It's about three or four different things coming to a head for UConn. I'm officially concerned. Let's move on to Arizona. Another team that I think at one point I, I labeled, I, I don't want to say they had no issues, but what I did say about Arizona was I felt like, okay, this was a program that was in good shape. I thought they were a national championship contender. I thought at one point UConn and Arizona were the clear-cut two best teams in college basketball. Well, there's just one problem. Since league play started, really since, uh, really, not really league play. I don't think that's fair because they started league play early. They actually took a loss early in league play at Utah. But since they got back from Christmas break, I think that's probably the best way to put it. Since they got back from Christmas break, this has not been the same team. They played Arizona State uh, they played Arizona State in a game in, on December 31st, so right before New Year's Eve, um, and they they won that game. But after that game, here's what Arizona has done. Barely survived against a bad Washington team. They win by three at home. Then they lose to Washington State at home in Tommy Lloyd's first home loss as the Arizona head coach. Go to Oregon State on Thursday, get the win. And then on Saturday, they get boat raced by a bad Oregon team. And so when you ask me about my concern with Arizona, UConn was a 7.5. Arizona, I'm going to put at a 6.5, and here's why. They have been a good three-point shooting team for, a while, for, for most of this season and really most of the Tommy Lloyd era at Arizona. The thing is, though, they have not shot the ball well in this current stretch. They were 5 of 22 against Arizona State. That was a win, but it wasn't pretty. 
They were four of 25 in the loss to Wazoo, Washington State. Nine of 25, which is a little under, a little above 30, 32% uh, against Oregon. And so that's the biggest concern. They're not shooting the ball well enough. Some of the guys that they brought into this program, Courtney Ramey is not playing well. And also defensively, they just had some bad nights. They gave up 87 points, 53% shooting to Oregon. Now, listen, I'm not a huge analytics guy. Points per game is a dumb stat to look at defensively when it comes to Arizona. But at the same time, it's dumb to to talk about points per game because they play so fast. The other team has more possessions. So points per game doesn't matter. But when you give up 87 to Oregon and they shoot 53%, that's not good. When you give up 74 to a really bad Oregon State team, that is not good either. Now, in terms of the panic meter, I'll say 6.5 because I do think their problems are fixable. Just make more shots. But the other thing is, in theory, they have the easiest schedule of anybody here. In theory, the Pac-12 isn't as good as the Big Ten, the Big East, the SEC, whatever. The problem is Arizona's actually played the easy part of their schedule so far, and they're not looking very good. They actually host the L.A. schools this weekend, USC on Thursday, UCLA on Saturday. Right now, UCLA is the best team in the conference. Um, But after that, Arizona, in theory, should be able to bounce back. They get the Washington schools again. Then they get the Oregon schools again. Then they get those awful Bay Area schools again. Cal and Stanford are two of the worst teams in the power conferences, uh, and three of their last five are at home. So there's plenty of time for Arizona to get right. I just need to see them do it. Really quickly, let's go to Arkansas. You know, I've talked plenty about Arkansas, Big Pig Invasion, all that. Um, And with Arkansas, what what stands out to me, first of all, uh, one in four in the in in the SEC. So Arkansas, obviously, um, you know, at one point, I think was ranked in the top five play was playing really well. They beat uh, late in the the out of conference slate. They beat Oklahoma. That was a very impressive win. That was, um, you know, that was in about the middle of December. And the thing that stood out about that game, they had something close to their full roster. Nick Smith Jr. was playing in that game. Nick Smith Jr., a projected top five pick if he can be healthy in that game. That was the first one that they played, I believe, without Trevin Brazil, who I think is a potential first rounder this year. So the problem with Arkansas, since league play started, they are now one in four. Um, And I think like UConn, up until Saturday, you could excuse, forgive, whatever you want to say about their losses. They lost at Auburn. Okay, well, nobody wins at Auburn. Who cares? Um, They lost to Alabama at home. I thought Alabama, Yeah, I still think Alabama is the best team in the country. We'll see what happens now with obviously a very serious situation off the court. Um, Early in SEC play, they lost at LSU. Okay, it happens. So the point I'm trying to make, I think until Saturday, you could kind of explain it away. But losing at Vanderbilt, you just can't do it. And I think what's interesting about Arkansas, in some ways, I am most concerned about them. And in some ways, I'm least concerned about them. Why I'm concerned is because I think they have two very big problems that I don't think get fixed. They don't shoot the three ball very well. And that's not something like, like if your team is not built to do that, that doesn't get fixed overnight, right? Um, Defensive pressure can be changed overnight. Um, Three point shooting. Sometimes you just have the shooters and they're not making them. I don't know that Arkansas has a three point shooting, but beyond that, and this is something coach Musk talked about after the Alabama loss the other night is that this whole team was predicated, this whole team was built on having Nick Smith Jr. and Trevin Brazil available. Trevin Brazil is out for the year. He has a knee injury. Nick Smith Jr. is rehabbing or whatever, apparently in California. It does not appear as though he's going to come back. And so to me, that's where my concern with Arkansas would be is because of the fact that like the, the, the guys that they were built this team around they're probably not going to be back. Nick Smith Jr., the family is saying all the right things, that he's trying to get back. I believe in his heart of hearts that he wants to get back, but I've seen situations like this way too often. You know, Jackson Smith and Jigba, Ohio State wide receiver this year, we just saw it. Every week, he's trying to get back, he's trying to get back, he's trying to get back. And at some point, you just have to shut it down for the year and just say, I'm not coming back if I'm not 100%. And I think that's probably what Nick Smith Jr. is going to do, because if he's not at 100 percent, it could hurt his draft stock. Um, And I think, you know, now it could hurt his draft stock by not playing. Right. It could hurt his draft stock by him not being on the court and people questioning his knee and not being able to evaluate him. 
But I think if I had to guess, I would say Nick Smith Jr. isn't coming back. Um, But also why I wouldn't be concerned is because if there's one coach that has a track record that he can figure things out when things are not good, it is Eric Musselman. And I know everybody's like, oh, Torres, you never criticize Arkansas. You never criticize. Listen, Eric Musselman has a 15-year, 30-year track record, whatever, of figuring things out on the fly. Even just in his college days at Nevada, the year he went to the Sweet 16, they had nothing but injuries the back half of the season. Uh, His first year at Arkansas, Isaiah Joe, NBA player, gets hurt. He's always figuring out a way to eke out wins. Had him on the bubble without one of their best players in year one. Obviously, last year, tinkered with that lineup until he figured out what worked. They ended up in the Elite Eight. So I'll put Arkansas at a solid five and a half only because I think Coach Musk figures it out. He always does. And I would add this too. I have been an advocate for SEC basketball, but right now I think there are a lot of wins to be had in that league if uh, you know if, if you're playing well. Right now, we don't know what the deal is with Kentucky, right? You know, I'm not going to make a big thing about that Kentucky win because we just don't know if it means anything. Florida's not very good. Missouri's lost three of their last four. South Carolina stinks despite the fact they went into Rupp Arena. LSU isn't as good as we thought. Mississippi State isn't as good as we thought. Ole Miss stinks. So right now, who would you say is playing great in the SEC besides Alabama, who, again, has clear off-court issues to deal with, and Texas A&M is actually playing pretty well. So I'm not going to keep going on and on. I put Arkansas at a five and a half because I think there's wins to be had in the SEC, and I think Musk figures it out. Finally, Duke. Uh, Duke is not a good basketball team right now, okay? So Duke on Saturday, they were a, a very small underdog, actually, at Clemson. They went and they lost at Clemson. It dropped them to 13-5, and 4-3 and three overall. And what I would just say about Duke, I don't think they're a very good team. I don't think John Shire is getting very much out of his team right now with the caveat, by the way, let me, let me take that back. It's probably not fair to criticize John Shire. Last couple games, they've been without their starting point guard, Jeremy Roach. He was the only returnee from last season's Final Four team. And they've had Derek Whitehead and Derek Lively, two really dynamic freshman All-Americans, in and out of the, or, or, or preseason, you know, freshman All-Americans, McDonald's All-Americans, in and out of the lineup. But what also stands out is that really, I don't know who they are right now. And I don't know what they do well outside of Kyle Filipowski, the big guy who's averaging 14 points and nine rebounds per game. And so right now, and part of it has been injuries, but I think you can argue that most everybody on that team is underachieving, is not playing up to their potential. Um, And until I start seeing them play up to their potential, it's hard for me to get excited. I put Duke at a 8.5. I just don't think this team is very good. They've played four conference road games. They are one in three. The one win was by one point at Boston College. And I think unlike the, the the SEC, which I just said, there's some teams that aren't as good as we thought. I think the, the ACC, unless you're dominant, is probably a little bit tougher than we thought it would be. Duke plays at Duke plays Miami this week. Miami's a good team. Miami's ranked right now. At Virginia Tech's not going to be easy. Wake Forest is tough. Already beat Duke once. You play North Carolina twice. Even at Syracuse, that's a tough place to play. NC State, Kevin Keats, my guy, playing well. I put Duke at an 8.5. Again, to recap, UConn, 7.5. Arizona, 5. I think Arizona was a 6.5. Arkansas was a 5.5. And Duke is an 8.5. All right, that's it for today's episode of the Air Tour Sports Podcast. I have gone on long enough. It is time for me to get out of here. Before we do, I want to remind everybody, make sure that you are subscribed to the Aaron Torres Sports Podcast, Apple, Spotify, Amazon Music, Google Music, wherever you listen to podcasts, make sure that you are subscribed. Also, make sure to rate and review the show. Go ahead, give us a quick five stars. Let us know what you like, what you don't like, all that good stuff. Make sure you are following on social media, at Aaron underscore Torres on Twitter, at Aaron Torres Pod on Instagram, Aaron Torres Podcast Questions at gmail.com, Aaron Torres Podcast Questions at gmail.com. That is all for today's show. It is time for me to get out of here. I want to thank you guys and girls for listening. I'll be back probably Wednesday this week, and we're going to have a lot to discuss. Shout out to Craig. Shout out to Rachel, who hates my voice. Shout out to JJ Reddick, you F head. I'll be back on Wednesday. New Aaron Torres Pod. 
Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. With Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry. Sorry. We're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No. Lucky Land Casino. With cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.